0: Take your Bibles tonight and turn, if you will, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter number 21. Numbers chapter number 21 tonight. We're we'll going to be dealing with a text that I've never heard a sermon out of one time in my whole entire life. So uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, sometimes you hear a preacher say that. And it's like, is he saying that proudly or how is he saying that? How's that coming across right there? I don't want that to come across proudly. I don't really know. Yeah, like I said, if that's good or bad, but uh, I guess we'll find out by the end of this thing. Numbers, chapter number 21 tonight. <clears throat> we are moving uh, progressively through the life of Moses. Um, if you remember, we're not preaching through the five, the, the, the Pentateuch, nor are we preaching every single chapter of um, the, uh, the, the details of Moses' life or the building of the tabernacle or anything like that, but we're... We're just highlighting different aspects of Moses's life is what we've been doing. And we just finished up last time we saw the brazen serpent and we saw a message I entitled about being discouraged in the way and different things that get us discouraged in life and uh, how to overcome those discouragements. But uh, tonight we want to focus in on this um, little unknown story, if you will, uh, in Numbers chapter number 21 and see these journeyings and see where they led to and uh, and then see what happens here uh, through these journeyings that they are in. So we're in Numbers chapter 21 in verse number 10. And do forgive me if I butcher the names, okay? So in verse number 10, the Bible says this, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth, and they journeyed from Oboth and pitched in Eger, and in the wilderness, which is before Moab, toward the sun rising, from thence they removed and pitched in the valley of Zered, and thence they removed and pitched in the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness, that cometh out of the coast of the Amorites. For Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Wherefore it is said in the book of wars uh, of the Lord, what he did in the Red Sea in the brooks of Arnon, and at the streams of the brooks that goeth down to the dwelling of Arb, that dwelleth upon the border of Moab. And from thence they went to Beer, and then that is, where, that is the well whereof uh, the Lord spake unto Moses, gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Ezra sang this song, spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes digged the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. And from the wilderness, they went to Matanah, and from Matanah, they went to Nahiel, and Nahiel, they went to Bahamoth, and from Bahamoth, they went to in the valley, that is the country of Moab, to the top of Pisgah, which looked down toward Jeshamon. So, tonight, I want to see a message which I've entitled, Digging Wells, or Digging a Well. Um, Digging a Well. And... We see in this story right here that these people have been commanded by God to go and dig a well in the midst of their journeyings. In this particular place where we're at uh, in our Bibles here, we're somewhere court towards the end of the journeyings of the children of Israel. Um, there's not a lot said about the 40 years that, of travel that go in between here. Uh, there's more said uh, about the building of the tabernacle. There's more chapters given about the building of the tabernacle than there is about the journeyings of the people of Israel. Um, and I think that shows for us a great point, And that is that when we're not following God in the way that we're supposed to be, we're oftentimes going to be stalemate. We're going to be walking in circles. There's just not much to talk about. Just not much to talk about. You're just walking in circles. You're going to the same place, this place, that place. You're picking up, you're moving, you're picking up, you're moving, you're picking up, you're moving, you're picking up, you're moving. And uh, life was kind of a circular, if you will. But here we find something unique happening is that we find that these people, uh, a couple of unique things. Number one, uh, they're commanded to build a well, to dig a well, to dig something permanent, The second thing that you find kind of unique about the children of Israel, as you've been in our study, if many of you have been in this study with me for quite some time now, is that you find a very unique characteristic right here. You find them praising God instead of murmuring. Amen? I mean, it sounds like every time you turn around, they're murmuring and complaining and saying something against God and against Moses. Um, And then a third thing you find that's unique about the story is this is that you find the nobles and the princes getting involved in this work, this project that is happening right here, instead of just the common, everyday, ordinary people. When I was in India, I had the privilege of seeing a well uh, like this. This would have been a hand-dug well, obviously. There's no excavators or drills involved. Uh, So they dug this by hand. Uh, In our Bibles, it says they dug it with their staves and I don't know if that's poetical or not, uh, but that seems kind of hard to dig with a staff, you know, uh, but nonetheless, uh, maybe that means they're shovels, but uh, they dug it up, they dug this thing. When I was in India, uh, a well, a hand-dug well is about 20 feet wide, and it's between 30, 40, 50 feet deep, and so you look down in this humongous, how many of you grew up on a farm or you grew up somewhere that you had a well, anybody, anybody grew up on well water, and uh, and and you it 's usually like a pump house you know you never you don 't see the bottom of it you know or anything like that. Uh, maybe you recall some of the old fashioned things where you 've got that little like you know uh, Masonry little thing coming up out of the ground with a rod across, and somebody's got a crank on it, and something like that. You know, that's kind of what we've got in our mind. But these wells were actually wide; they were they were wide wells, and they were had masonry. They'd have masonry all the way down to the bottom, and then along this well that I saw in India, which would have been a well like this, uh, it had rock uh, had rock uh, steps going all the way circular down, jutting out. So somebody, if they had to get down to the bottom, now you didn't. Go go down the bottom and get your water, you know, the water was, you know, they had some kind of positioning system. They could lower buckets and things and pull it up. But if you had to get down to the bottom, you could, you could walk along this steep uh, uh, staircase all the way down and everything. All right. Things aren't done to code in India. Okay. Just to let you know. All right. Just not, not the same as in America. Okay. Uh, things are uh, a, a little bit different uh, over, over there. Scaffolding is put together with bamboo sticks. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just different, okay? So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you look, it's, this is a big project, okay, is what I'm trying to get at. This is not something easy to do. This is not something that you just go out one day and go, you know what, I think we'll dig a well today, you know? No, this is a several day week. It's a bunch of people getting involved and getting their hands in this thing and working at it. Um, God instructs them to build it, to dig it, to take care of it, and to get it going. At other times, God had told Moses to uh, strike a rock didn 't he? and water would come out another time, God told Moses uh, to instruct Moses to throw in a, a tree into some bitter waters, and that would come fresh waters. Another time, God told Moses to speak unto a rock. Of course, we know that Moses disobeyed God and struck the rock, and yet God still, in his grace and goodness, uh, sent forth water unto the people but Here in our text here tonight, we see that these people uh, are instructed by God uh, to build a well. And I believe this well is a great symbol of God's amazing grace in our life. God's grace in our life. And if I could really just give the proposition tonight would be simple, would be this, is that God's grace should inspire us to work. God's grace should inspire us, or if you don't like the word inspire, then use motivate, should motivate us to work. It should inspire us, it should, uh, it should help us to press us uh, to move on for God in His work. Uh, the first reason I see it's a picture, and a symbol of God's grace, because uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a structure of permanence it's a structure of permanence what i mean by that is this is that the well that they're building here is a symbol to them that their wanderings are almost over all right you don 't find them doing anything else permanent until you find until here and then a little bit later on whenever the two and a half tribes ask Moses if they can stand on the, on, the, on the other side of Jordan there and, uh, and have that land and have those houses and have those fields and have those uh, vineyards, but in this case here you find them digging a well. everything else had been term- temporary. Their journeyings were a symbol to them that they were not close to their desired haven. And this well is a symbol to them that they're almost there. Time is almost done. It's almost ready for them to enter into promised land. And you know what? It's always a great comfort to in all of our hearts and lives to have some kind of, uh, have some kind of permanency in our lives. To have stability. It's a great thing. If you're in between jobs, you, you don't feel very... You know, you feel a little anxious, don't you? You know, there was some anxiety, I'm sure, for Brother Woodard uh, in the time that, uh, that uh, him and his wife were expecting the baby and not knowing what was going to happen. But there's some great comfort whenever you find some permanency and some stability in a doctor or in a hospital or some care, worker that's helping you. That's God's grace when he sends that stability, Amen. That's God's grace helping us and encouraging us. The second symbol of God's grace, why I see it as this, is that God was going to give them water just when they needed it. They were in need, and God was going to meet that need. God's grace always shows up right on time. It never is late, and it's never early. But it's always just there when we need it. It satisfies our needs and we don't need to worry if God is going to help us or not. It may be in the very last hour, but God's grace will be sufficient. It will supply. The third thing I see it's a symbol of God's grace is this, is that God lets the people participate in the work. That's God's grace, my friend. God includes you and me in His work. In His work, maybe not. Maybe this won't resonate with all of you. I know every illustration doesn't, but maybe this one will. With some of us, imagine somebody that you really look up to, somebody that is, somebody that's your, if you want, if I can use this term, your idol. Somebody that you'd say, man, I would just love to work with them. I would love to see how they do something. I would love to, uh, I'd love to follow them and I'd love to shadow them around a little bit and see how they do what they do. Can you imagine that person who was the best of the best in their abilities, the best of the best of whatever they were good at, calling you and saying to you, hey, why don't you come work for me for a while? Can you imagine that? How would you feel? I would feel humbled. I would feel me? Me? You want me to come work for you? I'm a nobody. I don't know anything. No, I want you to come work for me. Listen to me, my friend. Multiply that times 10 million. And that's God. And multiply your humility times 10 million. Amen? Because that was what God is doing here. And that's what God wants to do with us. Grace works, my friend. Grace works. Grace works to save me. Grace works in me after I'm saved. But grace inspires me to work for God. Take your Bibles and hold your place. Put that fancy little uh, black holder thing there. Bookmarker in Numbers 21. And turn, if you will, over to the New Testament epistle to Titus. Titus 2 and verse number 7. Forgive my raspiness tonight. Titus 2, in verse number 7. A main theme in the epistle to Titus is works. Works. It's a big theme in this whole entire epistle that he writes to to him. But uh, let's just notice this here in verse number 7. It says in verse number 7, it says this. It says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Look at verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and unworldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good Works. Now, where did the good works come from? The good works came from verse number 11 when it says, for the grace of God. That's what, that's what inspires or motivates the good works that Paul is talking about here to Titus. It comes from the fact that we've all had experienced or known the grace of God. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work verse number seven of chapter three that being justified by his grace we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life this is a faithful saying and these things that i would affirm it constantly that they that have believed in god might be careful to maintain can anybody say the next two words for me i said anybody else let try it all together all right all right that we may be careful to maintain what good works good works Verse number 14, one more verse. And let ours also learn to maintain what? Good works works for necessary uses that they may, that they be not unfruitful. Now, can we all agree tonight on something? That's kind of difficult in a Baptist church, I understand. But can we all agree tonight That if an entire nation needs water and is thirsty and the cattle need water and the sheep and everything else, don't we all think that a good work would be to dig a well so that people could be having something to drink? Amen? That's a good work. That's something good to do. Okay? I I have... I have no problem with these Christian organizations, you know, wanting to dig wells in Africa or something like that. Um, that's a good work. Let's just always be sure we share the gospel with them, too. It's a good work that Brother Woodard and um, and, and, and were you connected with um, uh, uh, brother um, out of Brazil? I'm sorry. When on the medical missions trip. OK, what was his name? Yeah, Brother Lunday. But Lunday's doing some good works. In fact, I just got an email. He's got Amazon connection trips coming up uh, uh, for next year, uh, taking people uh, down. If anybody is, if anybody's uh, has any medical background or anything like that, he would love to have you on a trip where you get to go and you get to float down the Amazon or you get to go to Guyana or you get to go to Bol- uh, uh, Bolivia or Colombia and, uh, and help out with uh, medical needs of people. And then uh, after they go through the medical needs tent, uh, then they're going to go to another tent where they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ presented to them clearly. All right. Uh, and so uh, so if you're that's good work, say, that's good, that's good stuff. So we're not in any disagreement tonight that what we're seeing here in our text is good works. So the question I would ask you tonight is this, is what is the grace of God doing in your life? What work are you doing for the Lord because you've been inspired and motivated by the God's amazing grace in your life? So I want to notice three truths on how we can be motivated by the grace of God to work for God. Number one, let us look at this. God calls us to the work. Now go back to your place there in Numbers chapter number 21 in verse number 16. I love this because it's not the people that get the water. Now the people are involved in the water, digging the well, and the water comes up obviously afterwards. But it is God that directed them, that put them there. It is God that gives the water. Because he clearly says that in verse number 16. It says in verse number 16, That is the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Who will give them water? I will give them water. I will do this. I will give them to this, do this to them. God is the one calling them to the work. This was not Moses' idea. This was not the people's idea. But God in His grace employs His people for a task. And this is not unusual. I am, I, I, this, in some ways it feels like a very topical message what I'm saying here tonight. Because what I'm saying here is transcendent throughout the whole entire scriptures. I mean, every, what I'm preaching tonight is everywhere all throughout the Bible. God, God calling the people, a person, and then telling them what to do, and he is going to do it, and then employing them for the work that he wants them to do. I think of Gideon. Amen? Uh, who he employed in the work I I, I think I I think of Mary we've got this seat that he that he employed her in the work to carry his son I, I think of Moses who God employed him by a burning bush and I think of all these people that God throughout his word he employs them he puts them in his service and directs them for the work of God that he's called them to and God hasn't changed amen I mean, he called out the the apostles and the disciples, and he called them to the work that he wanted them to do. And he called out Paul on the road to Damascus and employed him in the work that God wanted him to do. And what did God, what did Moses, or excuse me, what did Paul say? He said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. It was God's grace being manifested in him. There was, it was nothing to do with Paul. All right. It was all God working in him. It was all God working in him. And God can work in you, my friend. It's sometimes the level of what we want God to work with us in. How much do we want God to use us? What do we want to do for God? Brother Wooder and I were talking about Brother Runyon before church. And he had made a great comment. He said, if, you know, if, 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 my generation could just get half of the enthusiasm that uh, Brother Runyon has. You know, we would have so many more missionaries and so much work done on the field. I mean, Brother Runyon is, you know, living uh, with a with a colon, with a, with a colon bag on his side here. You know, he's doing and he knows he's going to die in, in, in Guyana. He's not going to get the help that he needs down there. He needs to be in the States, you know, getting constant treatment and everything like that. But he knew once he got back down there that he was going to stay down there and work for God. And listen, whether whether you agree with somebody what they're doing or how they're doing and all that, here, none of that really matters. What matters in in, in the scenarios most of the time is this, is that what is their heart? What are they wanting to do for God? How are they wanting to serve God? They want to serve the Lord. I'm not saying doctrine doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is this, is that they want, he wants to serve the Lord. Serve God. God, since their wanderings, has been showing him his grace. His grace was evident when he took them out of Egypt. Amen? His grace was evident when he allowed them to cross over the Red Sea. His grace was evident whenever he gave them their provisions that they had. His grace was evident in Deuteronomy 29 in verse number 5 when it says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness, your clothes are not waxing old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxing old upon thy foot. I mean, think about that. I mean, some, I don't know about, you know, some of the, some of y'all might not like to not have a wardrobe change for 40 years, but you know, some of y'all haven't had a wardrobe change in 40 years. I mean, I mean, I mean, we just, you know, my wife will tell me, why are you wearing that same jacket again? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I literally have a, a Carhartt jacket in my, and, and, it's a, and this is not a, uh, a testimony, it is a testimony, but it's not a plug for Carhartt or anything, but I've got a Carhartt jacket that's 13 years old, man, and uh, I wear it every winter. I love that thing. And you know, all it's, it's maroon and it's ugly and everything, but you know what? It's warm, it's nice, and it, it's, uh, it's good. I was about to go on another tangent. I'm going to stop right there. So God's grace is everywhere in, in the life of the children of Israel. I mean, all over the place. So it should not be any surprise that God, in His grace, would ask them to dig a well for the water that He would provide for them. And just like the children of Israel, guess what? We're saved by what? Grace. Take your Bibles over to Ephesians. Keep that little fancy marker there in Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 4. Sweetie, I think I really do need some water. I think I'm going to have to have some. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. In verse number 4, notice what it says here. And I I begin in verse 4 because we all sometimes leave leave off this verse. We get right into verse 8, don't we? For by grace are you saved through faith. But look at verse number 4 of Ephesians 2. Notice what it says. But God... Now, I've always told you this as your pastor. When you get in your Bible and you're reading your Bible and you find those two words, but God... You better hold on to your seat, something big's about to happen right there. You underline that, say, wait a second, something big's about to happen. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his what? Grace. Grace. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by what? Grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. God sent His only Son to this earth to save us from our sins. He exemplified grace in Jesus Christ towards us so that we could be saved. That's how He gave us grace. Grace is being given to us through Christ. But He did not just die for us, amen? But what does the text tell us? That He was quickened. He was made alive again. He was brought back to life, and we read in our Bibles that the Father was involved with this, and that the Spirit of God was involved with this. But who else was involved with this? The Holy, Star, Jesus Christ Himself. He said. He said. He said. He said. I will raise up myself. I'm going to bring up myself. So here we find in our text that God is telling us that this grace that has been given to us, like in verse number 5, by grace are you saved. And then again in verse number 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. The children of Israel, you know, they didn't get the water themselves. I was, I was reading in my, uh, in my daily Bible reading, I was reading in Matthew chapter number 5, I finished my Bible already, and so I get free time uh, right now. So I get to choose where I get to go. You know, it's always fun. Matthew 5, but look at what it says. It says this, it says in verse 45, That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Listen, my friend, God's grace is being manifested every single time that the sun comes up. Whether you're evil or whether you're righteous. It doesn't matter. Every single time that you get to see a new day, you know what? That's God's grace. Every single time that you see a raindrop fall, that's God's grace. It's prevalent in our lives. It's in our lives. But I I hope you didn't turn away from it. But Ephesians 2.10 I purposely stop there because look what it says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We have been called by God to work in the fields of God. We are called by God in His grace to be saved, but we're also called in His grace to work for Him. I never really thought about this, but in the story of the men that went to the field to work, in the parable that Jesus gives, and He talks about the first group of men that contracted with Him. uh, They agreed with Him for a penny a day. And then he, uh, the uh, the the lord of the field realizes that he needs more workers, so he goes out a little bit later, and he gets more men, and he goes out a little bit later, and he gets more men, until finally he realizes I need, I just need one more push here at the end of the day, and so he goes out in the 11th hour, and he grabs some more guys, and, um, and we always got to get focused, and rightly so, because that is the focus. Jesus puts the focus on the fact that of the, of, the penny of the penny for the day, and the one guy's getting upset for not getting paid more, even though they had contracted with the Lord in this thing, but something that, a, a little nuance of the story that kind of caught my attention this time was this, is that no matter how long that the men had been hired to work, you find that the, character, the, main, the main characteristic among them all was this, is that all of them were expected to work. No matter what time of day you came into the field, everybody was expected to work. To work. It didn't matter if you got hired at the beginning of the day or you got hired at the end of the day. It don't matter if you worked 12 hours or if you worked one hour. And this is a great parable for all of us, all right? For all of us, especially believers. A lot of you got saved when you were pretty young. And this is a great that's a great parable for all of us that got saved when we were younger. Because you might, with animosity, look on somebody else that got saved later in life, and they're now in the work that you're doing too. And you're thinking, well, I've been doing this for so long, and now they just got saved a few years ago, and now they're doing the same things that I'm doing? Or somebody might say, well, how could somebody, you know live their whole life so wickedly and so evil and at the last hour accept Christ and be saved and uh, have the same eternity that I have. But listen, my friend, whether it's a man that's in the last hour or a woman in their first hour, uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is this, is that is that it's all by God's grace. And if you for one second Think to yourself that, well, if you think, well, what are they doing and why are they getting the privileges and they've only been doing it for this long? You forgot something. The reason you're saved is because God saved you and it's God's grace that saved you in the very first place. It's all God's grace, my friend. Your salvation is and your work is and you're to work for him. And it doesn't matter what hour you're in right now, find a work to do. Praying is a work. Doing God's business is His work. It didn't matter. In our text, we find that everyone was working. The nobles were working. The princes were working. And you and I are called out by God to tell people about Jesus Christ. You're called by God to manage your fields. How's your management going? How's your how's your fruit manage, How's your fruit tree management been lately? God has put you to work, my friend, to bear fruit. Has anybody ever worked in an orchard? It's not easy. It's a lot that goes on. It's constant maintenance. I've talked to some pecan farmers, and they'll tell you that you know one of the hardest things about raising pecans is picking up sticks. All the sticks that fall all the time, all the time, because you know what? You can't run the machine over the things and pick up the pecans if you got all the sticks on the ground. It's constant, all the time. You know what? You ought to be managing your orchard. How's your love? How's your joy? How's your peace? How's your long-suffering? How's your temperance? And how's your faith? And how's your meekness? And how's your gentleness and your goodness and your righteousness? Have you put any time investing into those fruit trees? Or have you noticed of late that Maybe your patience has been worn thin, and that your love towards your spouse has not been what it should be, and that your joy joyometer is really a depressionometer. You don't have to walk around like you're on cloud nine and you just got a brand new car. But you know what? A Christian ought to have some joy in their life. It's a fruit of the spirit. Have you been very gentle with folks or are you real harsh and angry with them? Dorcas made coats for poor widow ladies. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you help anyone? Do you get involved at church? Do you find ways to alleviate the pain and suffering that this world is in? This truth is so vital that it's God That calls us to the work. Because grace works. And God's called us to it. The second truth I would point out to you is this. Is that, go back to Numbers chapter number 21 and notice what it says. It says that the people began to sing a song. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well. Sing ye unto it. The first thing that should motivate us to work for God... Is His grace in our lives that He has called us to the work. The second thing is this, is that it should, praise should motivate us to work. These folks began to be praising God. They're not complaining and murmuring anymore. They didn't say, well, why can't you just speak to a rock or talk to a rock or strike a rock like you did before? No, they thanked God for the opportunity to work for God. You know, when everybody else around you is grumbling and complaining, it's harder to work for God. You don't believe me? See Moses. He lost promised land because everybody was grumbling and complaining around him all the time. And it finally got the best of him. And he spoke ill-advisedly with his lips. And it cost him going into the very thing that he had sought after. Can you imagine having a goal, a 40-year goal And being, I mean, Moses was 80, but he was in his prime, the Bible says. I mean, no, he wasn't 80, he was 120. And he was in his prime. I mean, his eyes were not dimmed and his strength was not abated. He was ready to fight. He was ready to go in. You had a goal for 40 years, and somebody looks at you and says, or 80 years, sorry. Or, what is it? My mind is not working tonight. 40 A long time. Thank you, Brother Zach. (laughs) And somebody looks at you and says, you're not doing that. That hurt, wouldn't it? No, we ought to be glad that we get to work in the work that God's called us to. We should be the ones lifting up others on the job site. We should be the ones, we should, Christians should be the one that are putting a positive spin and a positive word on things around and saying nice things to people. We should be the ones that are thankful that we have a job and we should be the ones that go to work and are actually happy that God has given me a place to serve no matter what it looks like. If you went to Genesis, and I won't take you over there, but if you went to Genesis chapter number 26, you find another man digging wells. His name's Isaac. And he digs a well and it gets shut down. And he digs another well and it gets shut down. And he finally digs a third well. And finally, whenever that well uh, comes up, he doesn't get shut down. The Philistines don't take over. God blesses. You know what Isaac does? He doesn't complain or grumble or anything. He just praises God. God for the whales. Praise is what kept him going. Praise is what motivates us to work for God. If you'll have a praising attitude when serving God, you'll have a lot better time serving God. A lot better time. You won't get all upset and tense and mad because you aren't doing this for yourself. You're doing what you're doing for God. And Christian, you should be able tomorrow to get up and do whatever you're doing for the glory of God, whatever you're doing. Now, if you can't do what you're doing for the glory of God, maybe you need to sit down and reevaluate what you're doing. Okay. But I don't care what you're doing in life. You ought to be doing it for the glory of God. There is no secular and spiritual in Christianity. We've got to get rid of that out of our minds. We've been brainwashed by that since the 60s. We've got to get rid of those thoughts. Life for the believer is strictly spiritual. Spiritual. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus We walk not after the flesh but after the what? Spirit. Life is Spiritual. What serve you do? Do all to the what? Glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink. I'm going to go eat a hamburger tonight when I'm done from here by the Lord willing. And I'm going to eat it for the glory of God. I am. And I'm going to enjoy it. We don't talk about stuff like that much. We kind of get a little weird, you know, feeling about it. No, I'm doing it for the glory of God. I want to praise God in it. I thank God for lettuce and tomatoes and ketchup and not mustard so much, but I'm getting there and everything. But I praise God for all that stuff. Man, aren't you glad that God made your taste buds to be able to taste all those kinds of things? You ever seen a dog eat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just gone. What if we had to eat like that? That wouldn't be any fun, would it? Eating's fun. Giving glory to God's fun. We ought to be praising the Lord, and if you work for God, listen, that job will be a lot better tomorrow if you're not working for the man, and you're working for God, working for the Lord. And we can get, we can kind of get down and out, and kind of and it can get hard sometimes in the ministry and in the work of God, and and, and maybe like 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 hey, if you need a if you need a pick me up on soul winning and evangelism, you need to go see Brother Woodard. Okay. All right, because I tell you, the fields are white under harvest down there. All right. But here in Austin, Texas, yeah, it does get a little mother. But listen to me, my friend. Next time that you start to get a little down because you're not seeing any results and nobody wants to listen to you and you're talking to somebody over and over and over again and they don't want to hear what you have to say. Listen, my friend, what you need to do is you need to start praising God that you're saved and you get to be in the work that God's called you to be in. And number three. Look what it says in verse number 18. The princes dig the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. Truth number three is this, go and work together. Give praise to God. God has called you to the work and now go do it together. A Song of Degrees by David in Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that down upon the skirts of his garment as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Ephesians 4.3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond, of peace. Look, I've already pointed out to you that these guys were working and everything, but what I'm saying here tonight is this, is that unity inspires and challenges every single one of us to get in on the work of God. When every one of us is involved, it gives a spirit of unity and increases our courage and our desire to serve God. It gets more involved and it gets the job done quicker and better but if you're always skipping out on any work of the church or if you're never wanting to show out your faith at school or at work or wherever we're at then as a church we're not being on a unified front against the devil we should be standing on a unified front to give to the world the well of water springing up unto everlasting life The wells that we talk about, the well that I'm talking about here tonight, my friend, is not a, we're not, we're not, I'm not asking anybody to give, come out here and dig a well for some water. Now, the city of Austin supplies that for us, all right? But what I am saying tonight is that, like Jesus said to that woman of Samaria, that Jesus has got a much greater well, and if you knew the water of which I give unto you, you would be asking of me water, not me asking you water. And this world needs to know that there's better water sources than what they're drinking from. The water sources of education, the water sources of immorality, the water sources of drugs and alcohol, the water sources of a job or a career, the water sources of a relationship, the water sources uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of sin and debauchery, all of that is going to dry up. And there's only one water source that will bring us everlasting life. And that's Jesus Christ the Lord. And I've tasted of the water, my friend. I've come and I've heeded what Jesus said. Come take of the water of life freely. Now it's time for us to stand in solidarity with the gospel of Christ and tell others. The church... The church should not have to facilitate every opportunity for good works. Why? One main reason is this, is that my schedule and your schedule does not always coincide. So your good works cannot just be facilitated by what the church does. We should all be unified in saying that we need to do the work that God has told us to do, whether it's building a playground. I'm grateful for the hands that helped this week. Or it's taking out trash after a fellowship dinner or it's washing some dishes or it's noticing out a burned out light bulb and fixing it or scrubbing a toilet or getting a prophet's chamber ready for some missionaries or going to visit somebody that's in the hospital or making a dinner for somebody that doesn't feel well. Or going out soul winning or going out and inviting a friend to church or maybe just helping a stranger load up a piece of plywood in his truck so you can tell him that Jesus loves you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because God, if you're saved tonight, has taken you out of Egypt and has put you in promised land. You're in promised land right now, my friend. At least you ought to be. If you're not in promised land, you know where you're at, walking in circles. And life is rote, and life is grumbling, and life is complaining, and life has no purpose. Except, let's just get out of this as fast as we can. No, my friend, God has set our feet in promised land. And unlike some of the old hymns, old Canaan land is not heaven. Canaan land is where you live at right now, where there's promised victory. And God's grace is there to supply the victory. God's called you to the work. Give praise to God for the work and go and do it together. Grace works, my friend. Grace works. And may we, by God's grace, work for the Master, the Savior, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your blessings, your goodness, your grace.